0: Hey, everybody. My name is Tom, and I am the lead pastor here at Crossroads. Thanks for joining us. So I had um, a really rough couple of weeks, and by that I mean I just had some really hard conversations at home, here at church, um, at the gym, with friends. Uh, At the same time, I had a handful of really encouraging conversations. And then at the same time, same time, um, I'm engaged with It feels like too many people who are caught in um, just negative, repetitive patterns of behavior and thought. And finally, there's like this handful of folks with whom I'm engaged, and you can just, it's almost like you can watch the hands of God kind of mold and shape them into the person he's creating them to be. And that situation, that description I just gave you, leaves me vexed. You know what vexed means? annoyed to the point of anger let me explain that not because I've had to have hard conversations and and not because you know people are working through stuff I, I get it that's that's part of life and that might be your reaction what, what's your problem it's part of life but there's more to it than that right see as a church community the primary job that Jesus gave us was to meet people where they are help them introduce them to Jesus, and help them become fully devoted followers of Jesus. Disciples, in Jesus' words, to teach them to obey everything that he commanded, right? What disciples, when I say disciples, I mean people who increasingly think like Jesus, speak like Jesus, act like Jesus, and as they go out into the world around them, the world around them begins to look and feel more like heaven where God is at the center of everything and his will is what takes priority and the things of God are, are happening and they're happening in, in the way God, God wants them to. That's, called, that's transformation, that process from people where they start wherever they're at, they come to meet Jesus and then they grow into disciples. That's transformation and what vexes me is that there's not enough of it. There is. There is transformation happening. Don't get me wrong. God is always at work. But I feel like we're at a spot where what's next for us is that Crossroads is going to become a place where transformation happens increasingly and consistently and life change happens. That's, that's our goal. That's, that's what we want. And I was um, just, I've been reading a book called Living from the Heart that Jesus Gave You. And I found this question that is more or less, it kind of restates my, my vexation, for lack of a better term. I think I made that word up, vexation. The question is this, how would your life and the lives in your, our church be different if we were able to live from the hearts Jesus gives us gave us, have our true identities emerge, and have relationships with family and community that were characterized By joy, right? That's a mouthful. Don't worry, we're gonna spend the rest of our time kind of breaking that down. But again, that's that's like a a restatement of of my frustration. I want to see, I wanna see more change. I wanna see more transformation. I wanna see people increasingly look and act and sound and sound like Jesus. As we think about that question, all good questions are very um, they're loaded with kind of assumptions and, and they can help point us in the right direction. But as we break that question down, um, I think there's a couple of assumptions we need to pay attention to. So the first one is, and these are kind of hard to hear, right? They're, they might be a little hard to hear, but they're very, very revealing. The first one is that we are not inclined to live from Jesus's heart, right? Our inclinations are not the same as what Jesus would have for us. Um, the next assumption is, that our identities are based on something or things that are false. And the last one is that our relationships are characterized by something other than joy. And I think for the most part, if we step back and just kind of paint it with broad strokes, it would be fear. So we're going we're gonna to kind of dive into this stuff, but as we look to what's next, for us as individuals, for Crossroads, right? We started with God who is love. And then we looked at the idea that God who is love most clearly and directly communicates with us through the pages of scripture. From beginning to end, we see Jesus in the pages of scripture. And the next piece we're gonna lay alongside of that is this idea that transformation should be happening in and among us and because of us. And what I'm gonna suggest to you today is that transformation is shaped not only by what we know and those we love. Transformation is shaped by what we know and those we love. This is going to place a huge, huge importance on our relationships in three different ways, right? Our relationship with Jesus, our relationship with ourselves, and our relationships with each other. Got that? Relationship with Jesus, relationship with ourselves, relationships with each other but we're going to dig into those as we move along so the first part of that question just break it down into pieces how would your life and the lives in our church be different if we were able to live from the hearts that Jesus gave us and kind of um, I guess that begs the next question is um, how what's different between the heart that Jesus gives us and the way we're we're currently living without that when the Bible uses the term heart, it refers to the very center of who, of who we are. And to help explain this, I'm going to um, turn us back to an Old Testament prophet named Ezekiel. And Ezekiel is talking to the people of God. He's talking to the nation of Israel, the people who God called out from all the earth. And he said, through you, I'm going to bless the entire earth. If you would walk with me and like, walk like me, I'm going, to, and bless, I'm going to bless the whole earth through you. Bless you and bless the whole earth. But the people of Israel really struggled with that, and they got distracted by the things going on around them, and they looked to just about everything else other than God to meet their needs for provision, for identification, for reality. And it got to the point where God was like, look, if you guys are going to continue on this path, that's fine. I'm going to let you go, but there's going to be some dire consequences. So Ezekiel's message was loaded with judgment and is loaded with hope. Right. He paints this picture, tells the Israelites where they're going, but he says, look, there's going to be an opportunity. You're going to have an opportunity f- for new creation, for new life, to experience life the way I intended you to before you headed off on your own. We're looking at um, Ezekiel chapter 36, I think it's verses 26 and 27. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. All right, so as we, um, as we think about that verse, we think about Jesus offering us a new heart. And it's a heart of flesh, and the way that he does that is by sacrificing his own flesh for us to have a new heart of flesh it had to come from somewhere and it was the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross that makes that possible for us to have that flesh. Nothing that we do other than say Jesus I need you. I need this new heart. I recognize you as the one who's going to provide it and I want to experience it. The other thing that we get along with this new heart is the spirit of God and the, the heart of, uh, that we get works in conjunction with the Spirit of God. And what's important now is that the heart that we have is a flesh versus stone. So what does that mean? It's soft, it's pliable. Look at the, the Think about the differences, right? A heart of stone would be um, rigid versus pliable. A heart of stone, uh, metaphorically speaking, would be obstinate instead of teachable. We have, we have this soft, teachable heart now. We have the Spirit of God in us who's going to direct us This new heart that we have, it's gonna direct us to the things of God. We're gonna be more apt to move in unison with God. We're going to be more apt to follow his decrees and his laws. The heart that Jesus gives us is soft and teachable. It's willing to change and grow. The heart Jesus gives us is soft and teachable. It's willing to change and grow. So we look at that and we think, well, then why don't we see more transformation? Because I think this is where the other two pieces come in. If we have that heart, yes, we are with Jesus and we're transformed and we're his for eternity. right? We're, we're changed forever. However, we have a lifetime of stuff, of learned behaviors and attitudes and ways of relating to ourselves and others that need to be brought into the family of God along with the rest of us. And so that's how we, we begin to look at things like our identities. So how would your life and the lives in our church be different if our true identities emerged? So again, the assumption underneath that is that the identities we're living from are false. And by that, uh, I think the authors meant that they're being shaped by things that are false, shaped by um, maybe you had a, a rough upbringing and the messages you received from your parents or your grandparents or your siblings left you feel like just with no sense of self-worth maybe you had a great upbringing right and your parents loved you and they taught you well but you and me and everybody else we have grown up in a world that is broken and affected by sin and so we receive these messages from other places that were we're not we're we're too dumb or we're too fat or whatever, this, that, the other. Those messages that we receive shape these identities into this falsity that we, that's how we relate to ourselves. Now, take that and you compare it to the identity that we were meant. that is ours to have in Christ. Three things I would point out to you, and I, if you guys have been around for a while, this might feel or sound a little repetitive, but I don't think I can speak to this stuff enough because it is so crucial for each and every one of us to understand who we are as creations of God and as, as, as his children, right? So three things. Right, page one of the Bible, we're image bearers of the God of the universe. That means that he created us to rule with him and like him over the earth. We're supposed to Look to him for the definition for our definitions of everything, good and evil, and to walk with him and to live with and like him. Right? We are his image bearers, and primarily we think of of his right. God is love. That is supposed to be our our essence. That's supposed to be what shapes us, how we think and how we move. Everybody who's ever born is an image bearer of the Creator God. Every person who was ever born, God created in a unique way. Gifts, talents, abilities, experiences, places, interactions, all unique to you as an individual. That gets combined with you being an image bearer and then kinda there's this next layer for those of us who choose to follow Jesus. We are welcomed into the family of God as adopted children, right? And it's not like we get to interact with God as father, and it's not cold, distant father figure. It's the God that we get to call daddy, right? Like jump up in his arms, sit in his lap, somebody who will provide for us and take care of us and look after us and speak truth to us about who we really are. We're adopted into his family. That means we have new siblings. The Bible tells us we're co-heirs with Christ. That means we have an inheritance from God the Father. You guys, this stuff is so deep and so important for us to understand who we are, how we relate to ourselves. So God has this perspective on us that no one else in the world has, not our parents, not our spouses, not our our best friends, because he created you. He had you in mind long before you were born. And he created you, and he planned out when you were going to be and where you were going to be and how you were going to be. He has this perspective on you that no one else has. And he, that makes him the only one we should be looking to to shape our identity. Not social media, not our friends, not our parents. He's the one that provides our identity. Our true identity is that of uniquely gifted, image-bearing sons and daughters of God. Please let that sink in. There, there are those of you who are watching me right now, who I feel like, even just as I'm standing here, we're recording this, that statement is for you. So please take that statement and receive that statement and, and just maybe turn it over, refer to some of the scripture that was on there, Genesis 1, Psalm 139, Romans 8. Go back to it because that's who you are. The last piece, sometimes, even for those of us who've been walking with jesus for a while and we have a relationship with him and we're kind of figuring out our true identity as he jesus reveals it to us and reminds us of it we still need other reminders and that's why relationship is so important right if we're image bearers if we're created in the god of image now hang with me here right god himself has eternally existed in relationship one of the craziest mysteries of our faith is that our God is three in one. He has always existed. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So if He has always existed in relationship, we are created in His image. That means we are created for relationship. We are created for relationships characterized by joy. And the definition of joy I would give you is both biblical and relational, and it's this. and it's Joy is the knowledge that you, someone else is glad to be with you, that you make somebody smile whether you're with them or away from them when they think of you they smile when you come into a room and they see you they smile that's what joy is that's why joy can exist alongside things like sickness and suffering and tragedy because we can still be with people and be glad to be with them even though they're suffering even though we're suffering without joy relationship is actually i would say impossible Because without joy, our mind goes to our basest instincts. What are our basic instincts? Self-preservation, right? Fight or flight. We look at God and we, we think not that this is our Heavenly Father who wants to provide for us, who wants to protect us, who wants to define us. We think this is a being that has ultimate power and I either need to battle him or I need to run. Right? If there's no joy, we look at the people around us and we're like, these are somebody that I have to fight to get what I want to make sure I have enough of what I need or I should run away from them because it's a fight that I can't win. Joy is crucial for our relationships. <clears throat> um, as we think about, you know, we just spent almost a year in the, in the book of Acts and Paul is a central figure of the back half of the book of Acts. And that action in the back act of the book of Acts is church planting. Paul plants several churches, and he grows to love these people, and his relationships with these people are characterized by joy. In First um, Thessalonians 3.9, this is Paul talking about the church at Thessalonica. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? happy to be with God, happy to be with the Thessalonian church. And it wasn't just that everything was roses, right? That's not Paul wasn't just happy to be with them. Like each one of the churches that Paul planted had their own issues. And we go back to true identity, right? Paul was in a position because these relationships were characterized by joy where he could, yeah, he could celebrate with them and enjoy the good things, but he could also remind them, of who they were created to be. He could remind them of their true identity. That's the importance of relationship. That's the the other key to transformation, right? What we know. We know that God is love. We know that he clearly communicates to us in the pages of scripture. But centering ourselves, putting ourselves in a position to be in relationships with people that are characterized by joy That means that we trust them enough. There's enough joy there for them to be able to remind us of the people that God created us to be when we're acting like somebody else. When we're acting like that false identity. When we're acting like we don't know who we are. That's what a relationship characterized by joy is. A relationship characterized by joy rests in the knowledge that someone is glad to be with you near or far, good day, or bad. So that's a lot of stuff Three quick implications of what that means. Right? Jesus has a role to play. He has the role to play. He's the one who created us. He's the one who defines us. He's the one who offers us a new heart. He makes the way to a new heart possible through his perfect life, innocent death, triumphant resurrection. Our role is to humbly come before him and and acknowledge that need for a new heart and acknowledge his ability to provide that new heart and then do everything we can to orient our lives around him so that we can have as much access to him as possible. And as we do that, as we orient our lives around Jesus, we begin to think and speak and act like him. And we become the people that he created us to be. Not only that, but we're able to point to him in this positive light that causes the people around us to look and say, wow, I need to know who this is. I need to know who this is. And finally, and I'll end, I'll end with this, and we're going um, to continue through the rest of the summer to, to sketch out this idea of the importance of relationship in our transformation and the importance, the significance, the, the absolute centrality that Crossroads is a place where transformation happens. We're going to spend the rest of the summer fleshing that out. But today i just will leave you with this idea right and this is not my wording my brain um should be credited with this big enough to dare and small enough to care and by that i mean this in our life we operate in these different spheres right there's a there's a sphere like this right it's a public setting numbers wise you're thinking like 70 plus and there's not really much of a dialogue sometimes in this setting we'll pass the microphone around but it's more often somebody up here like me talking to somebody like you. The social venue, um, there's a little more interaction. It tends to be super small talk. Hey, weather, sports, yada, yada, yada. Um, not, not a lot of depth, um, but there is an ability within that number to accomplish things that you can't in the smaller numbers. In the personal realm, 5 to 12, um, think like our community groups, there is another layer of depth there where you can get to know somebody, right? But it's not that just here I am, good, bad, and ugly. And that's what that last sphere is. So these, we're, we were created to live in each of these spheres. And the, this last one, this intimate sphere, is that these are the people, these are the relationships where these people are glad to see me on my best day and on my worst day. And these are the people that I trust to remind me of who God created to be me to be, to remind me of my true identity, to remind me of my relationship with Jesus. So um, my honest appraisal is at crossroads. I think we do a pretty good job in the public space, the public sphere, and I think we do a pretty good job in the personal sphere. You think about public as our worship gatherings and personal as our community groups, right? I think where we have room to grow is in social and in intimate and as we think about that, we got to think about what it, what is it that the church can do to facilitate growth in all of these areas? They're all important, right? So, how, what can we do structurally, organizationally, programmatically, um, relationally, to make these things uh, work the way God designed them to work? What is it that we can do as individuals? How can we position ourselves to participate? In these spheres, so real quick think about and some of you have these relationships I know you do right but think about what life would be like if you had two to four people in your life who you trusted enough to that that they knew everything about you and they were still glad to be with you they were still glad to be with you they checked in on you you checked in on them the ability for people to get disconnected almost disappears completely. What is it that we have to do as Crossroads to make that happen? What is it that you as an individual has to do to make that happen? And lastly, this idea of social space and our, our Lean In and our Reach Out weekends um, are a great example of this. And this, this idea, this thinking is a huge part of what went into shaping our summer into the way that it currently, that it's, that it's looking. And as I think about last week's reach out, right, I was involved at Hall Neighborhood House. I think there ended up being like 12 or 13 of us there. What if that had been flipped, right? What if Joe Logano was a team leader and Rich Gregory was one of the other guys there? What if they were the only two that showed up? Five yards of mulch, two guys. They would have gotten something done. They're both hardworking guys. They would have figured something out. But I would suggest to you that that would have been more detrimental to them had they not shown up at all because they probably would have been a little bit discouraged. It was cold, it was raining, Where's you know, there's nobody else. But that's not what happened. Another 10 or 11 people showed up, got a ton of stuff done, everybody had great attitudes, they were smiling, people were happy to be together, they were glad to be together. And on top of that, we had the knowledge that there was another 40 or 50 people spread out around our area, being the hands and feet of Christ, feeding people who might maybe would not have been fed that day had we not brought them food. That's making an impact. That's what it means to be big enough to dare. And the flip side of that, those intimate relationships small enough to care. Those are the things that we're working on. Those are the things that are going to shape our summer. Those are the things that are going to move us towards what's next. Jesus created the church to, with the job of transformation, To transform people into disciples, people who increasingly look and act and and speak and and think, move like Jesus. Transformation is what we should be about. Transformation is based on what we know and who we love. If this, you know, maybe you're here and this is like falling new on you. So I would I would ask you to take it out of the church context and just Make it not a church question, make it a life a life question. What is it that you are allowing to shape you? That's essentially what transformation is, right? You're being shaped from one thing into another. Irreligious, religious, Jesus follower, not sure. Wrestle with this question. That's that's my application for you for this week is I'm, you know, you guys, there's a write the question down. The folks who are um, at service are going to receive a card with the the question on it. Take it with you. Meditate on it. Go to the verses. Spend some time with it. What does your relationship with Jesus look like? Are you living out of that new heart? Are you living from your true identity in Christ? And what are your relationships characterized by? Spend some time thinking about those. And let's kind of dream together about what's next for us at Crossroads as we continue to be a place that transforms people into the likeness of Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you um, for new hearts. Thank you for true identities. Thank you for relationship. You've given us all the pieces. You've given us all the tools, Lord. Help us to come together. Lord, would you make us the kind of people who bind together around you so that we might make an impact on the world around us God, we thank you for what you're doing in and through Crossroads. We just want more of it. We want to see more of it. We want to see it happen more consistently, more regularly, and more in quantity. God, would you do that in and through us? Would you do that for your glory, God, and for the growth of your kingdom? In Jesus' name, amen.